time for well you know what time it is it's the time for the show it is thursday night it's one in the morning 1 30 right now a.m that is my hustle that is the hustle that is the hack for me wow i just got off a call for work so <laughs> yeah there you go so i'm like let's just do the podcast right now Hope you're having a great day. I know I am. All right. Well, welcome to Hustle is the Hack. My name is uh, Pierre Hulsebus, and uh, I am here. I am the chief hustler. And uh, when I say hustle is the hack, that just means a little hard work, and there's really not a substitute for that. And uh, if I owe any success in life to uh, other than the grace of God, which it all comes from, quite frankly, uh, it's just doing the work and there's no shortcuts here. And uh, that's what we're going to find as we do the work and do the hustle. And that's the actual hack. That's the idea. Hustle is the hack is, you know, that's just kind of an idea out there. It's an idea. And uh, it is also the title of my website. You can go to hustleisthehack.com and you can interact over on that area. Um, we've, um, we're putting uh, content on there all the time. We're refreshing that content. Uh, not so much on the blogs. I'm not really, I'm not really a blogger. Uh, what I'm trying to do is uh, the amount of time that it takes me to write a blog is about the time that it takes me to do this podcast. That's why we're doing a podcast instead of blogging. So you get fresh, new, awesome content. And what is that content focused on? What is it focused on? You may be asking, what is in the mind of Pierre Hulsebus? Well, let me tell you what it is. This, this, this whole brainchild of talking about the hustle, it's really two different things. Um, first, what you're going to get out of this is you're going to get some ongoing awesomeness around business development ideas. So this is a bit of idea generator here. Um, I'm going to focus on a, um, a set of news articles that come out every week, new ideas that happen out in the big old world out there, whether you'll see them on Wall Street Journal, on the interwebs, wherever. I'm going to highlight and comment on some of those and hopefully um, help use some of those ideas to help focus and look at megatrends that are happening and positioning you uh, for how to position for success in the ever-changing business world. Uh, the other component of this, the other half of our deal, is um, we uh, focus on customer-related and sales-related information. So, my background is in selling. I've been a sales guy since the late 80s, selling computers and technology and networks and all of that. So I've been in technology sales since then, a long time, since before I was married. Uh, and I just had my 30th uh, anniversary. So uh, so that's that's how long and, and old I am both. Uh, so it's both sad and uh, depressing at the same time that it's exciting to know that you get to share all, all that wisdom uh, and, and benefit from my years of insight. 
And so part of that is sales. We're going to talk about that today, what the sales as a career looks like and why people aren't going into careers. We're also going to talk about other things like effective ways to acquire, identify, and retain the most valuable asset a company has, and that is not your product or your employees. What is it? It's your customers. If you don't have customers, you've got nothing. The world begins and ends with customers. And I don't care if you're the federal government or if you are Tesla, uh, you, you need customers. You need citizens if you're in the government to pay taxes and to serve. And if you're uh, selling Tesla, uh, you need customers to buy your cool car. So, uh, you need customers in every single business. So we're going to talk. We, um, so those are the two things that we get to talk about, uh, during this, uh, time together. And um, and that takes place uh, in this uh, one-hour uh, moment of time. So uh, with that, let's get right into it. It's my elevator music. This is called, in the business, bumper music. It's supposed to be an audio cue. All right, there we go. That's a little elevator music for you there. Um Oh, it's not going to stop. It's going to keep going. Anyways, I'll just leave it in the background until it's done. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's like little elevator music. Doo, 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 doo. All right. Anyway, stop that. Stop it. Stop it, Pierre. Let's just keep moving on to this other stuff. So there you go. It's very exciting. There we go. All right, so let's, uh, and what are you hearing in the background? Well, you know, that's like a diner. We're in a diner. You and I are having a cup of coffee. I didn't mention who you were, so have a seat. And what I'm expecting, if you are new into the sales game, if you're trying to get your sales mojo going, you're trying to get some inspiration and some ideas and how to you know, position yourself as for sales success. This is for you. If you are a, like me, a, a old dude that's been selling for a long time, uh, you're going to find some of my stuff might be, uh, maybe not relevant, but I invite you to come on and share your stuff, uh, <laughs> on my show. We haven't done any interviews yet. That's coming up. Uh, we've got some awesome stuff planned, but, uh, right. Not yet. Not yet. We have to get past 10, 10, um, episodes before we do that. And so we're almost there. This is n- episode number nine. And uh, so we're now, uh, so we'll start uh, adding uh, guests to the show soon. So uh, that's going to be exciting. Anyway, so if you're, um, you could be in a nonprofit kind of trying to do some business development, you could be starting up a brand new business and think you've got the most awesome cookies or products or multi-level market product that you're building and but you're kind of struggling to get that thing going because you you need to know a little bit about sales and business development so those are the things that we're going to talk about uh today so uh righty let's get right into it the first thing that's on the stack of stuff is uh what we're going to we're going to start we're going to mix it up a little how's that sound we have been talking um over what is um what is customer retention? And so I'm going to talk about customer retention first and why is customer retention so important? Uh, and this is a common theme. I've mentioned it many times is the concept that when you go and get a new customer, you want to keep them because the, when the customer leaves you, you have to get a customer to replace them. So if you want to grow your business, uh, you have to get more customers than you lose. 
And so you want to build products and services and you want to orient the culture of your organization around retaining customers. And if you, it's way cheaper to retain a customer than it is to go out and get a new customer. And we see uh, the lack of this understanding happening every time you go into a restaurant uh, and the um, the waiter is a butthead to the employee or to the customer or the owner treats the customer uh, with disdain. Um, anytime something like that happens, you just go, that place is not long for this world because they're going to have to, if, the, if I and my friends leave and never come back, it's not like there's not any other restaurants to go to in the world. If I get treated poorly at the place of service, I'm just going to go find another place and never walk in again. And guess what? That business has to go out and replace my revenue. Uh, if they, I had a great experience, I would come back. And we all have that kind of favorite place around the corner from our house that we go have breakfast with friends or coffee uh, with your mom kind of a stuff. And it's those type of companies that have been there for forever. Why are they so successful? In our my town, it's called Rainbow Grill. It's just around the corner from our house. It's been there since the, the early 50s. So it's been in business for forever. And the reason is because customers stay loyal and they stick in. So customer satisfaction is important, but customer loyalty is more important. And so we're talking about customer retention. Uh, so we've been going through um, a bunch of different um, uh, uh, ideas around improving customer retention. The first one we talked about was mapping out all the customer touch points and building an onboarding process. We talked about um, basically tracking your customers uh, a couple times, you know, not just the one time they buy, but making sure that we work to um, maybe commission and incent our salespeople to the second or third sale with the customer so we can see them retaining and sticking with it um, through a couple different buying decisions and not turning them over maybe to the inside team until the customers bought a few times. Uh, so they get that continuity and, and there's this incredible interest in making sure that they, um, they work, uh, we work hard to retain their business because we're interested in them. Some companies set up, um, the company that I work, we uh, work for, uh, we have a person called a customer care manager, CSM, and they're a customer service manager. They basically are like a concierge. They're like a concierge for the customer, dedicated person that just takes care of that customer, coordinates so much stuff. They do awesome work. Um, a lot of it sometimes is just administrative, and this is why um, a lot of companies don't want to keep the high-powered salesperson out there. Uh, because um, these uh, a, a lot of customer retention has to deal with s keeping that customer satisfied with the billing and all the little minutia in the way that your business runs. And uh, a lot of um, salespeople that are on commission don't have a lot of patience for that kind of stuff. They're, they're out there trying to land new stuff. So anywho, um, so that's a, you know, provide a quick win or two. Set up a streamlined follow-up system, i.e. when, you know, you sell customer A something, make sure you're calling customer A up to see how um, the purchase went. Um, if you are in re um, if you are in real estate or you are in um, used car selling 
or anything like that where you have consumers that come out and they make that kind of once-in-a-lifetime purchase, um, don't look at it like that. Don't look at it like a once-in-a-lifetime purchase. Look, somebody that buys a house, yeah, I'm not going to buy 10 houses in my life. I'd be great if I did, but I'm only buying, I just bought a house like three years ago. I'm not going to look to buy another house for a long time. So a lot of salespeople look at that as a one-time connection. But guess what? The guy that sold my house to me, he followed up. He sent me um, some Starbucks coffee cards. He was looking to see, if was I happy with the service that he gave and the money that he got as a result of that? And he's getting referrals and stuff like that as a result of that relationship. So he built a really nice follow-up system. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need complicated systems for this kind of stuff. This is like stuff we used to do in just a um, file folder, you know, like a tickler file, like call people up after you've sold them stuff. You've got an existing relationship with somebody and you want to make sure they're happy. And so this is how you build customer loyalty. And like I mentioned, customer satisfaction is important and we want to have, yes, satisfied customers. But what is more important is actually loyalty is customers that stick with you. There's tons of stories in the airline business. I travel a lot. I even um, still travel quite a bit, and I used to travel a lot more. Um, I was uh, I traveled um, in 2000 uh, or uh, 2019, um, 150 days a year. That year, I was out of the house. On the so half, I was 50 percent travel on the road. And uh, so stuff happens all the time. Customers, companies lose luggage and you get bumped and booked. I mean, it's just part of the way that those systems work. And you can't, you know, my advice, take it easy, okay? Uh, the, the guy sitting across the, the aisle from you or the counter from you is just trying usually just to tell, get through his day or her day and help you. Um, it's not his fault or her fault that the uh, air conditioning on the airplane broke and they have to cancel the flight. That's not their fault. And um, so, you you know, you uh, help let them work with you to help you through the situation. Because at the end of the day, it's not what happens, it's how do you handle it? Because crap happens like that all the time in, in the travel business. But I've heard some awesome stories of when the company boss um, lost somebody's luggage or something on that order. And the clerk and the, and the, the, the air um, line worker went above and beyond the call of duty, upgraded the customer, moved him over to another airline, whatever. And then took, um, you know, you end up, that becomes an opportunity to help make a loyal customer. You take a bad situation and you make it better for your customer. And as opposed to making excuses for it, you use it as an opportunity to exceed the customer's expectations. So it just kills me when I go into a restaurant and you see something like that happen when the service was bad. My wife the other day went into a local restaurant Um the lady who was the server had a bad day. Okay, she was having a bad day. It was just one of those things where she just got up on the wrong side of the bed. And um, they asked, my wife was with a group of people. They asked to get seated at the big table, quote unquote, in this little restaurant. And so, uh, and then not everybody showed up that they were expecting. So instead of having six people at the table, for six people, they only had four. And so the girl that had the big table is going to get a lower tip. Um, she was not excited about what was happening. 
And she let my wife know that she was angry that 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 they were sitting at this table, and um, she literally just said. Um, and then she was already upset. And then when she started taking the order, um, some of the people in their party were not easy at the ordering process. They asked a lot of questions. They made some like, please, um, can I, you know, um, I want the bun toasted. It doesn't usually come toasted, like special requests and stuff like that. And the lady was just like over the top upset. And she literally um, took her um, little notepad, put it in her pocket huffed out and said, when you guys are ready, you know, I will be back kind of a thing. And she walked into the, uh, in the back room and started, you know, um, kind of complaining loudly about the table and all of this. This is a place we've gone to for 30 years. We've been at this restaurant a long time, a long time. And the manager, that was an assistant manager, it wasn't the typical manager. I personally know the manager. We went to high school with my dad, who, who, who went to this restaurant, um, who's, you know, anyways, um, it's a family restaurant. It's been there for forever. Anyways, and the, the new manager came in, and he's just like, well, what is the problem? And he was giving my wife um, like a hassle over how difficult we were being and all of this. And so it's one of those, like... You are kidding. You are literally kidding. Like, you guys are struggling. And why is the customer not always right? What happened to the customer being right? It's that kind of stuff where you just like, you kind of shake your head and you just go, this is sad. It is sad that uh, this manager uh, didn't um, didn't take care of them in a, t- in a nice way. And um, <clears throat> my wife had recommended that to people in her family. So that was their first time going to the restaurant. Needless to say, those family members will never go back to that restaurant ever again uh, because of the experience that they received was less than optimal. Um, and um, it was not good. And it's sad. It's sad. It's sad. I felt very sad. Anyways, this is where um, customer satisfaction um, is um is less important than loyalty because now they have to work to replace um, the revenue that they would have captured by these people going forward. Um, uh, number six uh, on that, or number seven on our list was uh, set up a referral program. So um, have a way to, like I was saying, if you're in, um, um, especially in financial services is a really good one. I know a lot of folks that listen to our podcast, they're in maybe insurance or real estate or kind of personal services, that kind of stuff. Um, personal financial services like insurance and things like that order. Your business, because it's infrequent in terms of a purchase decision, you want to set up referral programs and you want to be able to not only do that follow-up stuff, but you also want to create a referral model. So how can I incent somebody for giving me a referral? Again, think about this from the cost of a sale. If I am starting a real estate business and I'm going to go out and get a new customer, my customer number one that I get, let's say I'm just brand new to the business. I go out and I buy business cards and I set up a website and I do some events and I um, hire somebody to help me um, write some uh, marketing copy, and I um, have some upfront costs, all of this to get my very first customer. And so that cost, there's cost, there's a huge cost. Your time is also worth a lot of money. And so when you look at getting customers, you have to look at the cost of that. 
And at every study that's ever been done on this subject, there's been a lot of study, economic ROI studies, is that a referral or a return customer is always cheaper than a new customer. The new customer is always the most expensive. But a referral doesn't hardly cost you anything. If you have a really happy customer, let's say, and I did this I had friend that I bought my house. He he was a real estate guy with a house. He bought um, he bought we bought and sold the house with him, and then um, you know we referred other people to him because our experience was really good, and uh, so he he was very diligent about following through and whatnot. So set up a referral program. Have a way that you either reward people for referrals or you give them a discount on their next purchase or send them a cotton picking, uh, you know, Starbucks $10 gift card. It's when it gets to the referrals, it's much more the thought that counts, especially in those types of services. It's the thought that counts because when I give a referral to somebody, I want them, I want to make sure they're getting taken care of. I want to say, yeah, go talk to so-and-so about that real estate or insurance. That person gave us a great deal on insurance and they took care of us when we had problems. And so we give referrals um, out. But when I give that, it's my name that's underneath that, that's attached to that. If that service isn't followed through and taken care of, then it was a horrible thing for me. That reflects poorly on my judgment. And so this is why referral programs are so powerful because the relationship that a customer has to the referral that they give you is better than the relationship you have with the prospective person. It's way better. It starts way down in the funnel. You already are past. They know you. They're trusting you. And usually you just have to build the like component because those are the three key ingredients you want to, when you're doing these kind of personal services, you need know and like and trust. And if you don't have those three, any one of those three things is missing, you're low, you're very low in your, um, you know, chances of, of getting that customer. And so setting up a referral program is really good. So, um, so we're on to eight and nine. Um, which um, are really interesting, um, very, very interesting components for us. So uh, what are we talking about? We are at uh, eight and nine. Use the mom test to get actionable feedback. And so what is that? Well, getting feedback from customers important. It's super important. But how do you know people are telling you what they really think versus what they think you want to hear? Right. And so the mom test is a framework that you can use to get feedback from customers. It asks, what problem does the customer face? How are they solving those problems today? And when was the last time they Googled for a way to solve that problem? Like that's what mom would do. Mom would just go on Google and look it up. This is a consulting question that you use all the time in consulting you know, finding problems is not that hard. Actually, people are really great at complaining and telling you what their problems is. That's not the problem. But if I'm sitting in front of a customer and I'm talking to them, I'm usually not the first one they've talked to. They've probably already tried to fix the issue themselves. And I want to know how they did that. Did they solve the problem before? 
And what was the last time they went out to Google to look at it? How are you trying to solve the problem? And when you dive then into the product and what you're selling, well, if anything, the customer is finding value in, uh, what if anything they do, they do they use it? It's called the mom test because you wouldn't ask your mom if you have a great product. She loves you too much to tell you the hard truth. You need to hear it to get better. And so it's really about getting better. And it's about asking that customer, you know, is the the product that we have solving the problem? And if it's not solving the problem, how are you trying to solve the problem? And so this is really looking at your product. So let's look at, think about this for a second. Let's say I am going to sell a a home remedy product. Let's say um, some essential oils. Everybody is into essential oils. I have essential oils in my office. I have this lavender thing. One of my bosses, she was into essential oils. We got all these essential oil people. And um, so, but... um, None of none of them have asked how did that did it work, you know how are you feeling is it working, because you know they're not interested in that they want they're waiting for the next order for me to run out and get a next order but they're not asking for feedback and so mom would of course you know if you did something bad she's going to go yeah okay Pierre it's okay you know they're a supporter of yours but what you're trying to get. Um, when you have these tight referral-based systems uh, and products, you, what you actually, you don't want happy kind of talk. You want very specific feedback that says, uh, no, that didn't solve my problem. It didn't work for me. Um, that product sucked. And then it's it allows you to re-engage. It allows you to get an opportunity to go, well, how would you fix it? How would you re-engineer this? What ways would you um, solve this? Would you partner with us? I want to I want to make it right. Thank you for your feedback. I'm going to give you a refund. If, here's an idea, why don't you, you beta test my next product, my next version of the product? So it's that engagement. Again, we're trying to retain the customer and avoid churn. And so as opposed um, to going, oh, sorry, the product failed you. And, uh, well, I hope you have a better day. No, that doesn't solve the person's problem because the person now has to go out and find something else to solve their problem. They have to go out on Google and look for ways to solve the problem because you didn't fix the problem that they had. And so you have a relationship with this customer. And in many ways, you have an obligation to make sure the product you sold them is truthfully solving the problem. If it doesn't solve the problem, you want that feedback. And then it gives you that opportunity to engage them. Well, if we fix that problem um, and fix that product, thank you, because we need this feedback. And so now let us, you know, we'll, we'll, um, we'll put your name on the product. Uh, uh, we see it all the time in the software business where um, because you need to beta test and stuff doesn't always work like your developers designed it for. And customers actually are the ones ultimately they're going to use the stuff and you need to retain them anyways. And so when stuff isn't working, you need to lean into that conversation and look at the customer really as a partner. And again, this is one of those ways that you can work to solve a customer's problem because you care and it just shows how much you care about their problem as opposed to selling them something. And the closer that's where you build trust and it's all about trust and that the better that you can trust 
um, and your customers uh, trust or show you to be trustworthy, that's again, no like and trust. And so this is how you build trust with customers. You lean in. That product that I sold you didn't work. I am sorry that it didn't work. That's not what I understood it. Let's figure out how to help solve your problem better. Can I get some more feedback? So that's the thing. Uh, And uh, number nine for today, which is the last one on our list for today, is under-promise and over-deliver. This is how you under-promise and over-deliver, right? You sell somebody, somebody something, and then guess what? If it doesn't work, you you help make it better. And then, you know, um, under promise, under deliver, my wife at going to the um, the restaurant that she was at, uh, the over delivery would have been, hey, your meal's free today. We've spent thousands and thousands of dollars at this restaurant giving. We've never gotten a discount on anything there. They don't have a loyalty program. The loyalty program is is the chili that they serve, which I love. It's my favorite chili in the whole world. So that's that's the loyalty program. But um, they could they could have over delivered by giving us a free meal or bringing out. Have you been a place where the service was bad or something was wrong with the food? And the waitress um, said, hey, I'm not going to charge you for that. Or here's a free dessert on the house. We're really sorry for your we're going to work to be better at it. So that's under promising and over delivering. It's really one of the best ways to improve your customer retention rate period. Make sure your customers are amazed at the service that you are, are, you're always going above and doing more than they requested or asked for. And that doesn't mean a discount. And let me get that, that up right. It doesn't mean a discount. That's not under, that's not delivery. De- delivering is actually doing something, not it's, it's the salesperson like, Oh, let's just give them a discount. No, 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 no. Don't do that. One of the tricks, one of the big tricks, especially let's say if I'm in the retail business or I'm in the product business and you have, let's say, a warranty or a um, a, a higher end service that you can offer like installation, instead of giving that discount off the main product, give them, um, give them extra service. Let them go, oh, we'll do the installation for free. Like that's going above and beyond. So instead of giving uh, under delivery, uh, of um, of something and just giving a discount and thinking that's good, you've just made yourself a commodity when you do that. What you want to do, you can give people more value and and focus on the value. So maybe I'm um, uh, up, you know, like we get in the, the airline stuff. We walk into the airline, hey, Mister Halsebus, we're going to upgrade you to first class. So here is it. Here's a little hack. It's a little trick, actually. And again, a lot of studies have been done on this. What excites customers more than anything is unexpected, something that's unexpected. It's interesting when you study music, why are certain songs super popular and uh, or why are certain music genres very popular? And what it has to do is not the repetition of something over and over again. It is when something is surprising, when it follows a certain pattern and then there's a twist to it that's different or unique or unexpected. And when you think of your favorite songs and listen to the music, that's what's happening. It's when it's unexpected. And there's just some sort of limbic thing that happens in our brain when something unexpected happens and it's positive. 
you are, you know, that like registers an extra bonus point in your brain and you're more likely to remember that experience. And uh, so there's been a lot with loyalty programs where the gifts were randomized as opposed to um, so many points you get this thing. Uh, and then you get another thing when you get another set of points when you do that. And then you've also they've also tried doing random after three. And then the next time it's after 14 in engagements. And the next one is after one engagement like this total random customers have a higher degree of appreciation for the randomness than a scheduled thing. If you can believe that, it's actually um, been studied very, very well. I'm going to actually add the last one because I think that's a, this is a good one to end this segment on, which is establishing a real relationship with your customer. Number 10, you want to establish a real relationship with your customer. Building relationships with customers, like sending out birthday messages and promotions and including their names on marketing emails and messages, Instead of just offering a generic cookie-cutter approach, customers feel like they're part of the family. It's essential to make them feel valued because they are key to your success. At the end of the day, you just have to live and breathe customer. If you don't have a customer, you have nothing. You have nothing. The value of that business is the customers, and I will prove it to you. One of the most personal services that you can have is your doctor. And say your doctor comes in and he is awesome or she is awesome. You have this really great relationship. They know you. They help you get born probably. Uh, When that doctor goes and retires, the value of that um, practice is measured in how many of the customers will stay. The product, which is the service that the doctor was offering, isn't worth anything at that point. What is worth something is the book of business. It's the same thing in financial services or insurance. If the person delivering that goes away, the only thing that's left in the value of that company is the customers. And if the customers don't say, the company is worth zero. And so customers are more important than the products and services that you offer. If you could build the greatest product in the world, but if you don't have customers, you are screwed. So uh, this is why you want to work to build real relationships with customers. And, you know, you just got to get obsessed with this stuff. Building relationships with customers is the most important thing that you can do. It's the biggest um, key to success in every avenue of a company. I have done consulting with companies and you can look at an org chart and you can say, if you do not have a customer, if you're not talking to customers, your job is on the line. That every person in a company has to understand that that company lives and breathes based on the customers. If you are in a nonprofit organization and you are building a nonprofit, you're trying to go and build all sorts of, of revenue from donations and whatnot, you have to understand who your customer is. You have to understand the value of what you're creating and um, how that revenue comes into your organization and who those customers really are. And you want to know who's figured this out better than anybody in the world is Facebook and Google. Facebook and Google figured out a long time ago that the customer is not the user. The customer is the company 
that is paying the bills. It is the advertisers. You are the product. The customer is is McDonald's who's selling advertising. You are not a customer. You are the product. And when internet stuff is free, that's how the relationship works. Nonprofits can think through the same process. What you're doing is you're creating an opportunity for a donor to engage with you and engage in the field work that you're doing or in the um, uh, nonprofit's mission, their partners, their sharing. That's what you're delivering. So you have really two things. One is you're creating an awesome event and an experience and delivering services to people. That is part of your mission. But the who's paying the bills and where does the revenue come from? It doesn't come from those that you're serving. It comes from those that are supporting you. And so that's where that relationship can often get messed up. It can get kind of turned around. And when you the better that you're um, at building these real relationships with those specific customers, then you're going to be successful in the long run. It works all the time, 100% of the time. It may not uh, happen overnight, but those customers will come back and they will be retained and you will grow your business. And better yet, you will grow the bottom line of the business. Sometimes growth that comes, you can make a lot of investments and go get a lot of new customers and grow. That's very expensive way. You can also grow your revenue and profit in your company by retaining customers because they're cheaper every single time to get. All right. Well, that's uh, let's uh, let's take a quick little break here, and we, my friend, will be uh, right back um, after this a little break. Hey guys, I'm always getting asked about my podcast and and how do you get to make it and you know what tools are you using to get online and get your ideas out there? Well, let me tell you, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's by far the easiest way to make a podcast today. Everything you need is all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer and then Hosting, which is kind of actually technically relatively complicated. They do all of that stuff and distribute all that stuff. Guess what? For F-R-E-E, they do all of that. It's uh, Spotify. You'll see your podcast show up on Apple, on Stitcher, all these great platforms. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, did I mention that it's free? So here's how you do it. You go to the Anchor app. Go to the App Store. Just put in Anchor. Or you can go to the anchor.fm and you can get started right away. Thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. And we're back. Yes, we are back right now, people. Hustle, hustle is the hack. We're hacking away. We're hacking, hacking away. It's now 2.17 in on Thursday morning, 
having an awesome day, and I hope you are having an awesome day today. All right, we've uh, we've been through the uh, we're we're making our way down the list of the twenty six awesome ways you can take care of customers and why customer retention is important. And now we are moving on to the stack of stuff. So again, my name is uh, Pierre Hulsebus. Thank you for uh, taking this time for a cup of Joe with us and uh, having a having a having a moment uh, and uh, an exciting time that we always get to have together. I really enjoy uh, our time together. And uh, you are a uh, are one of my customers and have a seat here. Uh, grab a cup of joe uh with me uh we are in the sales cafe at this point and now we're just having this little cup of coffee uh talking about um different items these what what i i lovingly refer to as the stack of stuff the stack of stuff can be viewed actually if you go to the hustleisthehack.com website you will see the stack of stuff prominently displayed there and we will um, talk about a few of the items on the stack of stuff today um, and uh, what I like to do um, because a big part of what I have learned is we are in the world of what's referred to as a digital transformation that means we're in this dynamic environment where new things are happening all the time and changes in is just getting forced down our throats and and new ideas are happening and they're failing and companies are getting grown and they're falling out of business and COVID is happening and nobody's traveling and then everybody's traveling and then we're, you know, it's just really um, a dynamic environment that we're in. And what what I have found to be important and a good way to work through uh, challenges in a dynamic environment is to adopt what today is referred to as a growth mindset, uh, thinking about uh, not the problems that are um, coming as a result of all these changes, but where are the opportunities that are in those changes. And, uh, you know, crisis is equal to opportunity in our world. And uh, that uh, just when things are complicated and confusing, uh, we want to run into that and we want to figure it out. And we thrive. uh, If you're a hustler and a hacker, you're thriving on that kind of environment. You're looking for a space where, um, you know, it's hard work and people don't want or understand the solutions. That's where you come in. That's where you bring your you've done the research. You you find the opportunities in that space. And that's having that growth mindset. And, um, you know, hackers, if, uh, if I get honest about what a hacker is, when I, everybody's got a different idea of what hackers mean. Some people think hacker is a golfer, a duffer, somebody that goes out and hacks with their golf club and just keeps, uh, you know, hacking at the thing. No, that's not what we're talking about. When I think of hackers, I'm thinking of a computer hacker. And what does a computer hacker do? What is the, um, what is a computer hacker? Um, what are what is their job? Well, computer hackers are unauthorized users who break into computer systems in order to to let's say change. Um, I'm going to go with change. <laughs> they um, sometimes do this without the knowledge or consent of the owner. Their clever tactics are detailed, and uh, their knowledge helps them access the information that you might want to have. 
uh, them have access to um, security hackers, somebody who explores methods for breaching defenses and exploiting weaknesses in computer systems. Or network hackers are motivated by a multiple of reasons. Not all of them have to do with profit. Some of them can be protest or information gathering or challenging the status quo or just for fun or evaluation of systems weaknesses to assist in formulating defenses against professional hackers or other hackers. So it's really a subculture in my industry over the years that evolved around hackers. Uh, You know, they're in the underground. You're kind of subversive. And, um, you know, these people built stuff just to do it, just to build stuff. And so we'd like to take that mindset of looking at uh, we are often disruptors. If you're in business today, you want to look at yourself as a disruptor. You are an unauthorized user. You don't have the right to be here. You probably don't have the right education. You probably you didn't have the right connections. You didn't your mom and dad didn't introduce you to all their friends and you became successful as a result of that. I'm telling you my story. I'm telling you my story. I definitely look at myself in the business world that I'm in as an unauthorized user. I talked about that last week about not asking for permission. You don't need to ask for permission. When you're a disruptor, I'm like sometimes I feel like every day I am like, um, you know, when we have um, like dinner at uh, uh, it's like Thanksgiving dinner. And there's that uncle that that um, his his wife has passed away and he doesn't have any children. And so he's at the t- dinner table and he just is awkward and he says things that maybe maybe very opinionated and he disrupts the conversation. And it was, um, you know, we're maybe the, everybody was talking about, you know, the weather and then he brings up Obama or something like that. Right. That's me. That's me. Um, that's me in, in work. I'm that gadfly. I'm the oil. Um, I'm the fly in the ointment. Sometimes I, again, look at myself as an unauthorized uh, participant in these conversations um, and a disruptor. And that's what uh, people want to see actually today. Um, you want to be a subculture. You want to look at uh, working around the systems that um, are holding everybody back, that are keeping um, uh, folks from uh, realizing their full potential. They look at the things they don't have, and um, man, that's what a hacker does. A hacker doesn't have the username and password, but they know where the computer is, and so they're going to figure out a way to get the username and password or guess the username and password, and they're just going to keep working at it until they get past that firewall and then they're going to go and find information or change the front end of the website to um you know flame flaming wheels or something like that like that's what a hacker does it's for the joy of the hunt and uh, so this is kind of the way that we approach these things um i take this mindset that you know we're being a little subversive here so anyways um the first one is uh, it's a, a story. Uh, the first one, let's uh, get uh, what is in the mind of Pierre. What is there? What is that? What is the first one that we're going to talk about? Well, we are going to talk about an awesome article that was in the Wall Street Journal about um, a topic that you probably all, if you're in sales, um, all should know and love, which is about managing your career. You know, pay is high. The jobs are plentiful. But guess what? Few people want to go into sales. 
the work has changed in recent years. Younger workers associate it with high-pressure tactics. Talent, though, is very limited in this space. And so salespeople, guess what? Salespe- salespeople, it's one of the most lucrative jobs you can have, period. There, it, it, There's lots of studies on this. Um, but salespeople make really good money. You can make really good money, but nobody uh, obviously sometimes wants to go into this job. Said the demand for sales has shot up as companies are emerging from the pandemic and switching to growth mode. So a lot of companies are hiring, hiring, hiring salespeople, and they're struggling to convince people to come and make a career out of it. Uh, ZipRecruiter, which is an online job platform, you may may have seen it, shows the number of sales roles that they have has risen up this year. Up, guess what? 65% growth in the demand for salespeople. That's 700,000 openings in sales just in the United States. So after layoffs and things like that decimated the field at the onset of the pandemic a year ago, we are behind 700,000 salespeople. A good example is a company like Tesla. I use them a lot because they're, you know, high profile. Tesla is now hiring salespeople. Like, wait, I thought I went onto the website. They don't really call them salespeople. They call them like customer care people or whatever. But once you do an order online, you know, you're going to have to do some paperwork. You're going to have to get a title. You're going to have to have some people call you and make sure you get the product that you ordered, all the stuff that we just talked about. You need somebody to take care of you, to take the cash, to make sure the financing is done, to solve problems, maybe to even upsell you on newer $2,000 tires or change the paint job. You have an opportunity to do that if you have a man or woman in the middle that's able to do that. Well, this is why Tesla's on the bent to hire thousands and thousands of people around the world to take care of that. And every single EV company is hiring a whole new round of of employees to do exactly this work. So um, the struggle to find and hire um, salespeople, it actually predates the pandemic. It's been actually a challenge for a long time, and it's just continuing. And part of it is the evolving roles of salespeople. I was in, uh, we're looking for a car. We're trying to find a car situation, Blanca and I. And uh, so um, a couple weeks ago, we had a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, I, you know, do a lot of my shopping for cars and stuff like that online. I've been to CarMax, Carvana. We've looked at lots of different cars. And uh, I have gotten to know the prices of the different vehicles that are in the price range that we're looking at. We kind of understand the market. I understand the price because I know what the Internet is, right? Well, guess who doesn't know what the internet is? Most used car salesmen. So we went to this place that's around the corner from our house and um, they had uh, two, they actually had three vehicles that were from a bank sale and they had these, their lovely vehicles, um, but they had, they were not the nicer trim. They were the lower end trim. And so it wasn't exactly clear what they were going to sell these for. 
And they had three that had very similar mileage. They were obviously off of lease or had gotten repoed from a company. And so the guy said, it's a bank sale. So I'm like, well, okay, what does that mean? How much are these cars? Which one of these? I, 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 could, I, I would like to look and consider purchasing one of these three different cars. Well, uh, I need you to take a test drive. I don't, you know, I'm telling the guy, I don't want to take a test drive. Um, these cars are in very good condition. Uh, I, I can get the title Carfax. I'm, I don't, I don't have the time right now. I only have a few hours if I'm going to, and in the back of my mind, if I'm going to buy it today, you know, then there's paperwork and a bunch of other stuff that has to happen today. So I am a ready buyer. This guy is being, you know, the worst used car salesman. Well, let me, um, I need you to come in and can you sit in my office? We went into the office. It's like, okay, dude, I'm like, I'm losing it already. Uh, patience already. Like, I just want to know the price. Is this worth our time to talk about this anymore? Because if this is too high of a price, then obviously I'm not going to buy it. If it's a good price, I'm going to I'm going to go in your office and we can get this taken care of. Well, I've got some paperwork I need to do because it's a bank sale and blah blah. It's like, all right, so I'm willing to spend five more minutes with this fella. Otherwise, there I you know the city I live on. There's one big you know main commercial street. On 28th Street, there's 15 other car dealers. There's three within a hundred yards of this place. And so this guy is acting like he's got the, you know, only three cars in the, in the, in the city. And he's just, he's laying it on thick. Well, you know, when you see these cars, if they're, you know, because, uh, there's a big demand for cars now and, you know, uh, it, 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 uh, uh, there's a chip shortage. I don't know if you know about the chip shortage. I'm like, dude, I see you have a car lot full of cars. I'm not worried about the chip shortage right now. I'm not buying a new car. I'm buying one of these cars. <laughs> Anyways, it just it just got worse. And so we waited there for a few minutes. Well, I need you to fill this paperwork out. And um, he comes back. And after t- I talked to my manager and um, so we need you to fill it because this is a bank sale and we um, they, they set the price. And so I need you to fill out this paperwork. I need to, you know, your income and I need all of this. And it's like, dude, I'm not giving you my name. I don't not going to play your game. Can you tell me what the cotton pick and, you know, this I never got the car. Let me go talk to my finance director and then we'll get you a price. We literally walked out after that. It's just a sad and sorry moment, you know, that, like that kind of used car salesman approach of the world. It's it's sad that that uh, this still goes on. <laughs> you are ruining it for all the salespeople. Those kind of experiences are really hard to shake. They give salespeople an awful, awful um, thing. And you can't believe that that places any success at all. And yet that sits there and people are waiting. It's like. I just, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, um, sales roles, uh, not, the thing with selling is that not only does it have a bad rep for a lot of people when they first think about sales, they think about it from that viewpoint. I don't want to become a used car salesman or appliance salesman. They also think that sales roles are not the top of the mind for new graduates. Colleges, not a lot of colleges offer sales-specific degree programs. Actually, very few in the United States that actually look at professional selling as a thing. I'm involved with one of the, in Michigan, we have Ferris State University. I do some um, guest lecturing there, and they have a sales degree um, there, but they're one of the few ones in the United States that do it. And it's only because we have an awesome professor uh, up there 
there that's able to help inspire students. And then there's been some really great um, curriculum development um, that's happened over the, the, you know, five or six years, maybe a little longer, actually, that's almost 10 years, I think they've had that program. And, uh, you know, it takes a long time, and they, they reach out to the the sales community and professionals all around the state of Michigan, people from Ford and HP, myself is on that curriculum committee and, and help them, you know, build out the curriculum. We provide them some, uh, some resources to help them teach and whatnot. Anyways, you know, people don't really go to school and think I'm going to be in sales. You're like, that's really not the top of the mind, but it's the lifeblood of every single organization. But talent is super limited and so, um, you know, it's really about um, changing the what, changing things up, changing things up in the way that um, companies recruit salespeople. Um, about looking because people, young people walking in the door, you know, they they look at tools. They are very computer savvy. They want to have systems that do a lot of the busy work. They're not going to want to be calling, smiling, and dialing and calling into people. Um, you know, they don't want to do that. They need systems that help them. They understand selling and buying like Amazon. They grew up on Amazon. And so that's their buying and selling world. They want systems that have intelligence and whatnot in there that help them um, help them pick what to who to call instead of giving them the phone book. Anyways, this is kind of the challenge that a lot of companies have when they're doing it. But so if you're considering sales, it is an awesome career and there's tons of opportunity out there right now for salespeople. And so with that, it is definitely an employee's market sales representatives, especially if you have any sort of technical acumen, like technical skills, um, you you are writing a, your paycheck right now. Um, a lot of those average wages, that's a six-figure job to start with. Most, most of those folks are within um, out of college very quickly up into the six-figure range. The median salary for um, technical uh, scientific products in the United States is $108,000. So you don't actually need a college degree. You just need to know the technical part of how to sell technical scientific products and services to businesses. That classification will earn you a hundred grand. So it is uh, it is a great career, and it's a lot of challenges out there. Um, you know, if you are trying to get uh, into sales, you know, some of the things you really want to relay is not so how good you are at closing sales. It's like you want to be in more some of the stuff we were talking about early problem solving, being a really great listener, asking questions. And, um, you know, you're not going to be a cold call people anymore. That that world is done with. You are going to be building relationships with customers and you're going to be listening and learning. It used to be, you know, a handshake deal business. And now 20% of clients uh, by McKinsey, they were talking about, um, they're only 20% are going to um, return to in-person sales now. Only 20% of the customers that have shut down their sales operations or modified it significantly. So there is a lot that's happening in that game right now. And as a job seeker in that space, emphasize your technical skills and curiosity and being a really great customer um, advocate and a person that cares about customers. The sales skills you can learn, you can learn better sales skills and techniques. That is a lifetime journey. But um, being good at sales um, is really about listening and um, 
you know, talking to people and um, being kind of a people person. That's kind of what it is. All right. What's the next one? What's the next? What else is in the mind of Pierre? Well, I got to tell you, I have got to tell you what I saw um, a couple weeks ago. And it is um, it is hilarious. It is um, it gives me hope. It gave me hope. It gave me hope. Uh, okay, um, so there's a baseball player. He plays for the Twins. He's the catcher. He's the catcher. And the catcher, uh, it's uh, uh, Williams uh, Estidio. And he is their utility man. He plays catcher. He plays second base. Basically, a utility player basically is uh, like a really great, can play almost any position. And guess what they can do? They, this guy can also pitch. Okay, so this is, um, he is not a graceful, large person. He is a, is relatively, he's 200 pounds, and they call him La Tortuga, which means turtle. He is not super fast. He's just really athletic. He is really, really good. And uh, so he got the opportunity to play pitcher, a relief pitcher between innings. He pitched an inning. And guess what Holmes did? He um, pitched a perfect um, inning. Basically, they needed him. They needed somebody to come in and pitch between because they were going to switch pitchers out and something happened in the dugout and whatever. So uh, kind of cold, he comes in and pitches. Well, guess what? He threw a one, two, three inning. And how did he do this? This guy, this is this is the ultimate pitching hack. He, instead of going out, every every Major League Baseball player at that level is used to pit, um, hitting against somebody, throwing the ball at them at 100 miles an hour. So all of their timing and practice and everything has to do with hitting a ball that comes at you at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> And, and hitting that ball, it's, a, it's an amazing feat of athletic prowess for anybody to hit the ball coming that fast. The amount of um, hand-eye coordination and reaction time you need to have is amazing. Well, guess what? He didn't throw the ball over 70 miles an hour, which is basically what a high school, a really good high schooler is able to throw the ball at, like at 70 miles an hour. He threw some pitches that didn't even register because they were so slow. And the slow pitch means 40 miles an hour, which is what, you know, your kid, if you have a kid in Little League, that's what they're throwing a curveball at. So this guy threw, um, knocked down through three strikeouts, one, two, and three, by throwing slow. And I just love that because this guy, he hacked the system. He figured out how to throw in the big leagues is not to go out and be the fastest. But if you're the slowest pitcher, the the batters have no idea how to hit a ball that slow. Because, again, baseball is all about timing when you're hitting the ball. You see the, the wind up and the pitch and all of your, like, intuitive second nature stuff you don't even think about anymore at that level you know you're just on autopilot your brain is registering speeds and all that stuff you don't even think about it anymore you've reached that level of unconscious competence when you are a batter and so you want to mess that up 
throw the ball at 46 miles an hour and you will strike out three guys in a row in the big leagues. I love this story. Um, hats off to him for for doing that. For uh, He's my hero that week. He was my hero. Oh, man, how awesome is that? How awesome is that? All right. I got, it was scary. Yes, it was scary. But uh, all right. What else is on the stack of stuff? We have one more uh, that I wanted to talk about. And um, I'm going to talk about something that um, a lot of people um, assume that this podcast would be a lot more about. And, I, and I've kind of avoided this topic uh, because... Um, you know, somebody like myself who's been on this topic for years, built a career around this topic. Um, you know, it, it, I've read pretty much every book on this topic. I know most all the major authors uh, of these uh, of this topic and um, all of the major players uh, in this industry. And uh, so and I made a career of it. And what I'm talking about is customer management systems. And so I want to take a minute to explain what, uh, and this is a part of that hustle is the hack model here, what lies behind the success of CRM systems? What is it that is kind of the secret sauce of CRM systems and how they work? What are we really talking about? So if you are not in sales, if you are somebody, let's say you're you're selling a um, insurance, let's say, and uh, you you have you're just looking for a hundred really awesome customers, and you're just going to work to get one hundred awesome customers. And if I'm selling um, uh, car insurance, that means every three days I, I get a policy renewal, and uh, so it takes you a couple years to get to that kind of level. Get a couple hundred people, you know, five six years into this into the thing, you've now built that business up over over time. And um, so um, in some businesses, those CRM systems really are just the order entry management systems. That's really their CRM system. But what lies behind the success of companies that are using dedicated um, systems or when we talk about CRM, we're going to use the word CRM, but that stands for customer relationship management. So it's an industry that started back in the 90s. It's an industry. So it's think about it like software, like accounting software or software that does inventory control. It's the same kind of idea. You have technology that manages what you used to be able to do in spreadsheets. Like back in the olden days, if I was running a company or a store, I just had my inventory control system in literally ledgers and spreadsheets. And every time we sold something, we took something out and of the inventory. And when we put, we bought stuff, we put stuff back into the inventory in the ledger sheet. And we could always look at the ledger sheet and value what, what inventory we had. We could make all sorts of understanding of how often do we sell stuff? How many do we, do we make money on that or not make money on that? That's what a inventory control system did in a in a spreadsheets in literally um, the big old green uh, <laughs> bar spreadsheets um, that that people would write in their ledgers. That evolved quickly over the years to computerization. Customer systems were the same thing. If you ever bought something from Radio Shack, which uh, I grew up on Radio Shack, you'd go down to Radio Shack and you say, "Hey, I need a cable." 
And uh, so they'd go, great, this is awesome. We got, you know, we've got your quarter inch phono plug cable to stereo headphone cable. Okay, we, we have one of those. You've got the blue one, or you have the black one or the white one. Do you want it coiled or not? And they'd have that right there. And then you'd go up to the front counter, and the guy would look at you, and uh, he would pull out this piece of paper, this little machine, and it had um, it was this big metal box, and on it had a uh, piece of paper, a carbon paper. And he would write, and your name, sir, and I was Pierre Holsevis, and he'd write it down and your address, and he'd write all this information down. And then he would write the product that you're buying, because usually you're not walking out with $500 for the stuff. It's usually you're walking out with $4 of a cable. Uh, and so, okay, you got one cable and you put the part number on there and it's, so how much was it? You look at the price take four ninety nine, $4.99, calculate the tax, you know, and there you go. And then he would, you know, you would do the financial transaction and then he, there's a little crank on the side and he'd roll that thing out and it would spit out the receipt, which he would give with you, put it in the bag. And there you go. You walked out with the stuff and he had written down your name and he had your name in that. And that was a customer management system. It kept track of who their customers were. And then they would send all those in to the big computer system in the sky. And uh, somebody would type all that stuff in and they would try to figure out, you know, who bought what and whatnot. It, of course, it was a horrible system because no one ever followed up. They never really were able to run any significant analytics off of this they created this really interesting unique uh, retail experience that they never leveraged any of that data though uh to acquire identify or retain customers and so uh earlier we were talking about how customer loyalty is so important and how we work to retain customers and so when i was in the consulting business and for all disclosure here I uh, was a CRM consultant for many years. I started in the late 90s. I had an opportunity as a sales director and a sales manager to start using CRM systems. I remember the first time I ever really used a CRM system was when I worked for AT&T. And in the mid-90s, a company um, wrote a piece of software that worked on um, a PC Um, IBM personal computer or laptop, and it was called ACT. And it was a very common application used for many, many, many years. It it had a good 15-year life cycle probably. And millions of people bought this application because you could basically write in your customers' names into the system and you could print mailing labels and you could write notes on them and you could kind of keep track of, you know, a fancy Rolodex. You could kind of keep track of dates for customers when their birthdays were, or whatever you wanted to do. You kind of then write reports and keep track of customers and stuff like that. And so it was an individual productivity tool that that you used. Um, And then they quickly evolved into um, everybody on the sales team should use this. Man, you have that person's name. I should have that name. So let's figure out how we can make them all work together and have a common database across the business. And that's kind of the, the way these CRM systems evolved. So I went from a user to I had a customer of mine uh, that had a really great sales experience with us. And they had a really excellent experience. They were just kind of wowed at how they had gone from the different cycles of their buying process And they were very impressed with that. And so I sold a bunch of hardware, computer hardware to them. 
And so they just loved that customer experience that we had. And they were asking, well, how did you do that? How did the owner of the company and their leadership was really interested in how did you sell us a half a million dollars worth of computers? Because, you know, they just didn't understand um, the process that we went through to help them justify the ROI around this and do discovery and all the different components that were in because we had a sales process. I had written a sales process and uh, our company followed that sales process and we used our CRM systems to keep track of all of that and to, to help execute that. And I had all of my quoting systems integrated with that and our whole team used that same system. So everybody, you know, knew these people basically that were involved with the customer because we had it all in a single system. Very straightforward use of a CRM system. They involved um, at that time, they were like, hey, can you help us put something in like that? And that's when I came up with the awesome idea. I could get out of selling and get into consulting and helping companies set up their sales organizations. This happened in 2000. Um, And uh, so I did. I made that transition. I went from being a sales um, manager and a sales kind of director and running a team on selling computer hardware to consulting and installing computer software. I became a consultant and uh, started selling Goldmine and ACT at the time. And then uh, very quickly, within a year or so, Microsoft came out with its version of um, CRM, a customer management system, a version one. And I knew I wanted to take it be at the beginning of anything like that because I saw where that industry was going. And I became a a consultant for Microsoft Dynamics. And I've been in the Microsoft Dynamics CRM, and now it's called Microsoft Dynamics 365. And it's customer experience and service. That's um, been the business that I've been in in since then. And uh, I now work for the the Microsoft company itself, um, helping train people on on that uh, platform. So anyways... um, that um, the a customer management system really is what it's doing. It's it's focusing just like you have inventory or um, or um, accounting systems. It's kind of focusing on that customer as an asset uh, and managing it like a portfolio, like you would. You're going to have inventory items that are worth a lot of money. You're going to have inventory items that are worth not a lot of money. And um, you're going to use the systems to help you manage what products and are, are valuable and not valuable and how they uh, work. And you're going to have it uh, organize the, the, um, the bringing assets inside of the system. And it's the same thing. Customers are like those assets. It's the most important asset, as I mentioned earlier, that a company has. So it's not only indispensable for efficient functioning of a company's process, but it represents an incredible opportunity for the growth and enrichment for a lot of different organizations. Now, if you go out and type in the word failed CRM systems, you're going to find a lot of deployments fail. And and why do they fail? I'm going to tell you, here's the secret sauce. They fail because nobody uses them. They're not tied into the process that the company's trying to follow. And so basically, um, it is a way to help manage a process, a business process. 
So it's not just um, something that's a big fancy Rolodex, but it helps the organization work as a team together to define where a customer is in their buying and uh, use of your products. And so all the things that we were talking about earlier in terms of building a customer loyalty program, you can do that using these CRM systems. But it's not any more effective than the um, than uh, using your accounting software. Accounting software doesn't make you more profitable because it's in the software. You still have to make really smart business decisions. So the same thing, CRM systems don't make you customers all of a sudden just stick around or make your sales processes necessarily any better. It just gives you a way to formalize that process. And so that is the key to success. That's what's behind this thing. It's a cultural change. And the second is the technology. The first part is the business process. The second part is the technology. The first part is the people and the how they're doing their job internally. How do salespeople work? Understanding that process recreating that process maybe in other environments and getting the the best habits and practices of our good folks and go, okay, well, our newbies, our new people come in if they followed similar processes, um, you know, that that's a good place to start. Helps accelerate our, our sales um, onboarding because we have a framework that we can work through. It helps everybody begin to speak the same language internally so it can raise some productivity issues and improve some productivities. But you don't want that system to be <laughs> the worst nanny ever. And that's what some of these systems end up being, where the salespeople find zero value in this system um, because it's just to keep notes or to um, have um, their managers keep track of what they're doing. So we don't, you know, those systems usually never work when they're like that. Those are where the failures happen. It's when users um, uh, are in the systems and they're, connecting their daily activities um, uh, to uh, that, that help them out. Maybe it helps reduce call reports or helps them do their um, expense reports. If it's not part of um, their daily work and has value to the users, then it's not worth doing. In some companies, it's not worth doing. Honestly, if you're in a medium-sized business, um, yeah, it's, it's good to keep track of your customers in these kind of systems. Um, but it, if, you know, um, <laughs> you might be able to do a lot of this already in, uh, in a Rolodex, you know, uh, or a spreadsheet. So it's, it has to do more with the methods and how you treat customers and whatnot. It's a big business. It's a $40 billion business. It's a big business, the software business around customer management. And uh, so um, depending on the size of your organization, it, uh, it can be super helpful or it can just be a big giant waste of time. It really is on how uh, you define it and how it works for you and your organization. So, um, you know, if you're getting lower sales and your customer churn rate is high and you're not getting the good growth, you know, those are usually not problems with, <laughs> with the CRM systems. Those are usually uh, problems with the way that you're selling and customers. These systems are used to help reinforce awesome behavior like we were talking about earlier. How do you retain customers? Well, you know, I want to keep track of when they're up for renewal and giving them offers before they're up for renewal and make sure that we do that before that that um, decision um, for them getting out into other um 
my competitor, you know, happens first. And so I can use systems to help with that. So there's lots of different ways and strategies you can use in the software, but the software doesn't always, you know, correlate to business success. It's really a framework that helps the company transform the way that it does business and helps them move forward to create more positive customer engagement and more positive customer experiences and deliver more personal engaging experiences and creating a stable and ongoing relationship over time. That's what we're talking about. That's the stuff that increases revenue. That's the stuff that improves um, the um, folks internally because they're happy because customers are buying more stuff or getting better commissions. And we can um, quickly, more quickly, basically all be on the same page because it can help consolidate a lot of the business results. So it's really about business process and stuff like that. Anyways, I thought I'd end on that because, you know, I do do know a lot about these topics. Like I said, I've been in that business. I've sold literally thousands of these systems over my career. So anywho, well, I'm ending on that note. We're a little over an hour, but I hope you have a super awesome day. My name is Pierre Hulsebus. Hustleisthehack.com. That's the place to go. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. You know, I say this um, every week, but you know what? You are awesome. I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in the hands that you are putting on the keyboards this week, the phones that you're dialing, the customers that you're talking to. I'm wishing you the very best success. You are doing the hack. You are out there hustling, and that is the true key to success. There's no shortcuts here. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts, just subversion. (laughs) That's all I offer you is uh, some awesome ways to be that unauthorized user (laughs) in there changing up the game. So I hope you have an awesome day. And I know you are awesome already. I said it before. I'll say it again. You are a promise. Just stepping into this game and trying to get the job done. That is that's it takes a lot of courage. And I just applaud you for picking up the torch carried it forward. I'm going to talk to you later. Have a great day.